Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Yeh and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Let's let's Austin. take the time to apologize first to the bar late release of uh, last, last week. week's podcast. <laughs> and I would like to say it won't happen again, but uh, I'm a man that doesn't make promises. You know, It's likely to happen again, guys. <laughs> it's but. likely to happen, but we'll try to space it out, you know, maybe like once a year. What? I don't what? know. Maybe once a year it'll happen. Dude, we messed up like one month ago. So. We did mess up. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to figure out how to give our VA access to the to Podbean, which is because right now Maya and I are still uploading it. In times yeah. we get like super busy, right? But enough excuses, enough excuses. Mayu, what's going on, man? How's life been? Um, like what what is your schedule nowadays? Because you have a lot going on, right? Yeah, I'd say Mondays are terrible days. Um, and I'm I'm I feel like that like meetings. I, yeah, and I feel like you have to have the same experience. You must be because I think that on the weekend, I mean, maybe you're not doing any, any work on the weekend. So I, that's what I strive to get to. But on the weekend, I'll do some stuff, which all will, because the banks aren't open on the weekend. So whatever I do on the weekend is really just prep for Monday. But then no matter what, on Monday, there's certain things that you have to do, right? Um, so that's unavoidable. And then on top of that, anyone that kind of reaches out and, and you know buys a house on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they all kind of book an appointment for Monday to like have a mortgage call. Right. And, and so new applications on Mondays and, the, and honestly, it's just the mortgage world, super busy on Mondays. And then the way I've structured a lot of my coaching is super busy on Wednesdays, um, which kind of leaves the days in between there as like kind of fillers, right? Like Tuesday could be mortgages or coaching. Thursdays could be mortgages or coaching Fridays. I like to take it slow. Um, just kind of half take it off. But this weekend, man, super nice. I didn't really do much work this weekend. It was more so. You're I had at a, a wedding. I saw yeah, you uh, do your little dance. Oh yeah, I did post a picture on my story, right? <laughs> no, no, your wife uh, put a video of you doing a little dance. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> That's how drunk you were. You didn't even remember, eh? Right? It was a rough night on Saturday. <laughs> funny. And Sunday morning, I'd bet. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So like just out of curiosity, man, on the mortgage side, like are you calling like the banks and stuff and appraisers, this and that? Uh, we need to schedule and coordinate with the appraisers. We just need to like talk with the underwriters to get like just really, it's just a lot of my time is more so spent with the client um, mm-hmm. collecting the documents. And once we get everything from the documents on the client side, like it's you, you send it off to the bank. Um, you just have to underwrite in a way that, you know, it's going to, it's going to approve and it's going to be passing. Right. Um, if something's tight and the ratios are tough, that makes it super tough. Um, but it's also on the bank side with, even with the appraisers, like their order of priorities is just like refinances at the bottom purchases at the top rental property purchases second to primary resident purchases. Right. So there's like a weird, like, like hierarchy, I'd say, but um, for the most part, the banks aren't that bad now. It's honestly still the appraisers that are still pretty bad, but they're improving. So I think we're getting there. That's um, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then aside from that, I think, cause I think I talked about mortgages last time too. the Chelsea flip, man. Did, I don't know if I talked about this last time, but you did, our, you, did you say you closed this and is this the one that you closed in cash? No. June, yeah. Yeah. We closed the cash. Yeah. Uh, June, June 30th. Um, and our junk removal bill, man, I kid you not, we're probably at like seven, eight grand in junk removal. Holy shit. There was that's like a, so that's a lot. Shit. This is like definitely the highest junk removal bill that and we've probably gone through like six or eight bins. And then like there was still a basement full of junk. 
then like our contractor was just like, I'm not touching that. I'm not going in the basement. Like there's something living down there. Like I'm not going there. <laughs> there's someone like, actually right. living there. No, no, no. There, he's like, oh. there's probably like some like animals like living down there. He's like, mm-hmm. dude, I, I can't, you can't pay me enough to do this. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll go down there and slum it out and do it myself. And then mm-hmm. uh, luckily I found like a junk removal company, like just go in there and do it. But like they wanted three grand just for the basement. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so now it's like, 11, it's double, it's like five figures for junk removal. Where, yeah, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna end up at eight grand in total, which is like pretty close okay. to five figures. We we budgeted, I think, like three or four thousand, right? Okay. Which is like still yeah. like a pretty nice yeah. budget for junk removal and that. Mm-hmm. But like there was an entire room that like we just didn't factor in and stuff like that. Um, so lesson is just that shit will happen in renovations, and if yeah. you don't build it in adequate buffers, you will get fucked. And especially <laughs> like right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, like just speaking on that, I guess that's what we could talk a bit on the preamble. Um, yeah, shit does happen, right? Like when I was budgeting things out for one of our flips, um, there's an unexpected cost of the kitchen um, is actually going to be delayed five weeks. Originally, the contractor said that um, like, no, no issues, no worries, right? Like things should be good. Like our timeline to be in and out this flip is six weeks. But now you tag a, another five weeks on top of that because you got to order the materials for the kitchen. And realistically, that's honestly an expectation. Kitchens don't come in a week. Like even if you order from Ikea, it takes a couple yeah. of weeks, right? Um, and just think about that five weeks, uh, our holding cost is about seven K a month because it's a, a, like an expensive flip seven K yeah. a month holding cost. Boom. Right there. We're already paying an additional seven K in costs. And what, do you, uh, what are you guys going to do then? There's nothing much that we can do. We need to wait for the yeah. kitchen. Right. Um, cause yeah. the thing is like, even if we explore, here's the tough part is this is the predicament. If we explore other suppliers, it's going to take us, let's say a week to find another supplier. And then let's say they at say five like, weeks as well. Then yeah, what? Or at like least now, even if it's three weeks, you're back where you started. Right? Yeah, I so. spent another thousand dollars. Like the opportunity cost is too high. Every week you I try, put it off, it's a thousand plus. In- did you try offering the kitchen supplier like an extra like thousand, two thousand dollars and saying just like move this shit, shit along? Yeah, they can't, right? Like it's just it's just they, the reality of it. I would definitely suppliers are majority of them are just like wholesalers in, in the sense that they have like suppliers like from like out of out of country or whatever yeah. that really make this stuff for them and these are just a middleman making a quick margin, right? Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. So like it's yeah, you always got a buffer for more, right? Like <laughs> those holding costs are adding up. Like I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it starts touching 10k in holding costs, but it is, yeah. it is right. I actually yeah, and I was trying to explain this to someone else as well. I'm like, honestly, like it's the small things that like it doesn't really matter. Really, the biggest thing I think in a flip is just time, right? Like time is expensive. I offered my con my contractor's yeah. quote for the Chelsea house came in. I think it was like like 17 grand or something. Right. And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, what if I give you an extra two grand? Can you just bring one extra person and like move this along faster? Cause like mm-hmm. the opportunity costs, like a, if you have private money, there's interest on that B it's also, if I can just recycle my capital through one more deal this year, mm-hmm. right? Like my profit is going to be way higher. Right. So I'm more exactly. happy, more than happy to give that guy like an extra $2,000. So time is of the essence when you start turning around a ton of deals. Um, and speaking of time, I guess this is not the best kind of transition, but we <laughs> have, uh, we have some very special guests on here today who was able to build a large portfolio in a short amount of time, right? Because <laughs> you like how I did that. But uh, we have, uh, that's such a lame joke, but we have Ishan and Sid Colbert uh, on the podcast today. Ishan and Sid, you guys probably heard of them. They're in the Rise Facebook community. Um, they host the networking events. So they're going to be hosting the future in-person networking events as well. They're super active on social media. But aside from building their brand and their credibility, on top of that, on the investing side, they are wholesaling nowadays. 
buying multifamily properties. They got a deal that is making me and Mayu jealous, right? And we're going to get into those numbers in this podcast as well. And then they also talk about their humble beginnings. They have a unique story when they went from riches to rags, not rags to riches, riches to rags, and they're trying to get back to their riches. So you're going to enjoy this podcast uh, for sure. It's a great episode, a lot to learn from it, a lot of golden nuggets. Hope you guys enjoy. Before we get into it, I just remembered, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support this podcast. Me and Maya are trying to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts before the end of the year. So let's see if you guys can help us with that. Um, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Today, we are joined with our very special guests, Sid and Ishan Cobert, a.k.a. the Cobert Brothers, a.k.a. Cobert Capital. How are you guys? Uh, so we are, we are doing amazing. This is Sean here. Uh, we are really grateful to be on this podcast and share our journey. So thank you, Austin and Mayu, for having us on your podcast. And you guys are doing fantastic things to share a lot of knowledge and that too for like not, not some monetary value and give value to people for free so that they can actually grow. Thank you so much. We are truly honored on this podcast to contribute from our part as much as we can. And we have Sid as well with me. Absolutely. Thank you for thank you guys for having us here. I hope a lot of investors who are just starting their journey, get a lot of golden nuggets, get a lot of value from this podcast just by sharing our, our journey and our highs and lows. Awesome, guys. So I think myself and Austin, we know you guys pretty well. Um, I mean, I, I met you guys back at a recruiting event what is a pre-COVID, maybe like six or seven months before that. Um, you guys are just getting started, but you guys have done a lot since then. But for, for our audience, and, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in the preamble as well, but you guys are also involved in the Rise group, uh, the Rise community where you host online kind of networking events, eventually that those becoming like in-person networking events as well, right? Um, so for the audience, anyone that doesn't know you, which might be pretty hard because you guys are out there networking with everyone and taking everyone's phone calls and, and just grinding away. But why don't you just give everyone a, a quick kind of background on yourself, right? So how did you guys get started in real estate? Um, what do you guys do now? And so on. Yeah, just, just as a backstory of where we, where we came from, like uh, we were born in a filthy rich family. Uh, like when we were growing up, we had literally everything. Like, and then like throughout our time in India, we suddenly went from having everything to not even having food on on an auspicious occasion like Diwali. So like kids are bursting crackers. I am like, okay, where's my crackers? But there's no money to eat food, so forget crackers. So we saw the highs and the lows. And then we we did our engineering and we, we, uh, Ishan worked a year in India. And then we are like, okay, we need to go abroad and like get get a better life. So we we come abroad, we started our masters in Windsor. So we did a couple years of uh, masters uh, in electronics and computer science. And then after that, we moved to Toronto because that's where all the jobs are. So we got a stable job. We have like $40,000, $40, of student loan, which we are like constantly paying off. So we are like, okay, have a stable job. Now that, that was the next challenge for us to pay off the student loan. Now we have like gone through most of the student loan or we have finished the student loan. And then we are like, what is the next challenge in life? Now I have a stable job. Now I have a stable income coming in. I'm living in Toronto, enjoying the life. What is, there was no challenge in life. After that, we actually went to Eurotrip and blew just 10, 15, $20,000 per head. And then we came back broke. And then Ishan slowly started exploring the, the investing side. Yeah, that's how I got introduced to investment aspect when I saw a couple of folks like uh, Mr. Matt McKeever and uh, Mike Rosehart 
and all these gentlemen just working from ground up and having financial freedom and setting the role model and exemplary example of this can be done right and if those guys can do it how much hard work and grit does it take to achieve that so started exploring reading books connecting with people that's how i got to know austin gradually mayu as well and network with as many people as we could so we basically like started meeting people understanding the market and that's how we kind of started into real estate investing so like september 2019 we came back from our euro trip and then shan slowly got into it and one day shan was like hey after work we are going to london for onri and then he pulled me and i'm like okay why not yeah. and that day i think kellen was the one who was who was presenting and he just blew my mind away there was a switch deep down in my brain and he just flipped the switch and i was like all <laughs> this is possible and i thought it's like yeah they're just saying things it's not doable and then we are like okay we slowly got into it we so the important thing that we did was we did our homework very well we researched the markets we want to invest in we knew that toronto was a heavy market expensive market for us to get into we did our research windsor felt comfortable because we had spent 2 years in windsor so we knew the streets we knew the ins and outs and we know a lot of people in windsor which which could have made investing easy for us even though we were living in toronto so i think april 2020 was the time when we bought our first property yeah so i would like to give an idea how we started first now after sid has told you already that we have lost a lot of money in the trip and the journey and now we're trying to explore how to get into real estate we know the market we know a lot of people over there so how do you get the funds the funds were there in our rrsp which was not even down payment for 5% down in windsor so what do you do first thing so what went, was that just to, to give some perspective yeah. 2019 was that like 10 15k yeah that was exactly 12000 some change dollars in my rsp account in each of yours each of yeah in each of us i think i had 12 he had 13 there had a couple yeah. more and you that. guys are renting on top of that so you need some money to obviously pay for like your living yeah, expenses too yeah and that too in toronto so yeah you know, <laughs> how much price so yeah man so we just started with 12 grand and i had 12 grand of rsp so if i wanted to buy a house say for 300000 or 400000 dollars i would at least require 5% that's 20000 dollars plus some change for closing cost so let's take 20000 ballpark so i only have 12 how do i go about buying a house while trying to pay student loan and living in toronto what we did is we encountered this idea of having to get lines of credit from banks because we had really decent good jobs right we had like pretty decent jobs and we are like banks loved us in that prospects like so we went in one month we tapped all the lines of credit possible with every bank i had about 122 somewhere around that region 120k of line of credit so i have a big box where there's like 120k but cash i have 12k but my mind is thinking how can i leverage that so i had a lot of money at say 5 8 6 3% also so i leveraged that money and i used that money to buy our first property and to buy the first property also sorry so i'm going to stop you right there and because like that was a very important thing and i just don't want to gloss over it so you had 12k saved that wasn't enough to buy your property so you started leveraging other people's money which is the bank cuz the bank generally is going to give the cheapest interest rate versus like a person lending the money out so when you said you got a 0k line of credit up to 122k how did you do that was that from one bank like what like tell walk me through the process really quickly of how you got over six figures in line of credit 
So like, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Austin because he was kind of mentoring us in the beginning of our journey. So he is like, okay, this is the first step that we need to do. So I think this was December of 2019 when it's starting to snow and we are just like, it's vacation time, everyone's spending time with family and we are like, okay, we are going one bank after the other in, in a span of a week and we are just like trying to get lines of trade from everyone. And then National Bank gives line of trade at prime plus 0.25. So Sean got 50 from there. I got maybe 38. And then in the same week, we hit up Scotia, RBC, all the banks that we deal with. So he secured $130,000, I think, 120 to 30. I secured 80 to 90. In total, we had a little more than $200,000. So your buying power went from 12K to almost a quarter million, right? Just by doing something in a week, right? So anyone can do that. Sorry, continue going forward with that. Um, You were looking into buying your first property in Windsor? Yes. So, so now we're trying to buy our first property. Now, when you go to buy your first property, what what's the first hindrance that happens? You got to first understand the mortgage capacity. What's your mortgage capacity? After getting your mortgage capacity and approval, now you try to look for properties. The second hindrance is getting outbid by people who have big chunks of money who don't even care about mortgage. They have like a briefcase and they just throw it on a person's face and they just buy it. So now competing with like these people, how do you try to navigate and buy property? Because you have to make sure one thing, you have to make equity on the buy. If you don't make equity on the buy, then uh, you're not an investor or not on the way to grow as you would supposed to, right? So we started uh, bidding, getting outbid, and then we gradually understood, okay, this market, what's the price per unit? Like what's the size of the house? So getting that holistic idea, of like how much the price is going for. Gradually, we started tapping into wholesaling, which was like a foreign concept for us. And then gradually, we understood, okay, wholesaling is somewhere we can get the property for cheap, have some equity on the buy. So Sid, uh, uh, Sid actually found a property that was actually Austin's wholesale. And then we gradually saw that, okay, there is enough meat on the bone. And from mortgage perspective, I'm not going overboard. So my mortgage guys like okay you can get this one it's it's within your limits so now the two hindrances are done now i have to see and understand if the numbers work and whatnot but i don't have time to do all that because of wholesale deal speed is of the essence you've got to tap on the thing like as soon as you get it right so i saw the numbers i had the familiarity of the area and the market i didn't even see the house i just got the deal and we took it on from there. And that was our first first purchase. We just saw the numbers, we had a video walkthrough and we knew that we could make it work because we were looking for something similar in the neighborhood and we were getting outbids. So we didn't even bother to see because it's it's like the numbers yeah. were good and we trusted Austin. So it just worked wonders for us. So yeah. what, what sort of rentals did you do with that property? You just kind of bought it, rented out as is? Like what was going through your head when you were picking that up? So what happened was there were... It was, it was a luxury house, like it got nice spotlights, newly painted and flooring and all that fun stuff, right? And it was in a South, South Windsor neighborhood, so which was family friendly, nice neighborhood. So we were just thinking, okay, we can make a luxury student rental model or luxury rental model where single professionals like me can stay over and they don't need no drama, but they're willing to pay the maximum price. And they are just like, you know, relaxed until they go and buy their own house so we we emphasized on having a place where we can maintain this concept where the person needs to pay the maximum buck and i can make a lot of cash flow by house hacking so there were basically 
six, six rooms. rooms. Yeah, there were six yeah. rooms, right? And then there was a den area and COVID happened. I moved from Toronto over there and I was like, okay, there's no point of living in Toronto. So I moved over there and I'm like looking at this den area. And I'm like, we can make a room over here. So we made another room. So we rented six rooms and I was living in one of the rooms and each room got me like average $600. So that's 600 into six rooms. That's 3,600, give or take. And uh, my mortgage was 1,600. So 1,600 is gone out of 3,600. So $2,000 is what I'm getting. So if I take utility and all these bills, remember there's not going to be any renovations to be done because it was newly renovated. So from that perspective, the CapEx, was under control. So I did not have any unexpected renovations or big, big ticket items. So from that perspective, I used to make like $2,000 if I remove $1,000 also for utilities, which is good enough. I have $1,000 cash flow, right? So I was making like $1,000 cash flow somewhere around that region. And you, and, that's you, you, and you bought that property with a 5% down approach, right? Like where absolutely. it was? Absolutely. Yeah, so your cash on cash return would be pretty great. <laughs> ridiculous. I think ridiculous. So I bought this property for $20,000 down payment and I'm making $3,600 every month. Multiply by six months, I have my money out of down payment. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's how a creative deal can be. So we had to pay like 20000 deposit, like down, down payment and some closing cost. And then we had to pay... $10,000 wholesale fees. So we were somewhere in 30, 32 ish range. And what happened here was like, Ishan had 13 ish in his RSP. I had 12, 13 in my RSP. And all of our money is gone on our first house. Okay. So all that money is gone in your first house. Um, and like, just, sorry, just to, just to, just out of curiosity, uh, I, you bought this in 2019, right? Um, you did a bit of work to it. You bought it for like 380k or whatever. Um, have you refied it to, I know you did a lot of future purchases, which we're going to get into. You got some equity gain on that. Did you decide to refi it? Like, what have you done with this property since? Cause is it still your primary residence? What's going on there? So, uh, it's not a primary residence, just a small correction. We started our investment journey in 2020 in okay. April first property. And then we'll get to the second in May, which, uh, we come to next. But uh, April 2020, this was purchased. And by May, we had started the renovations and built the room over there. And fast forward, right now, we are in 2021, somewhere around June, July, right? So I've sold that property and I've made $145,000 to $150,000 profit, no capital gains, no problem whatsoever. So mm. having to get into a property where I invested $30,000, out of which my money was twelve. Yeah. Right, making a cash oh, for two thousand dollars every month, thousand dollars after utilities, conservatively, and after one year, it gives me hundred and fifty thousand dollars checks. So, I don't know <laughs> man, like good. honestly, like that sounds better than some of my best deals. You know, like five percent down of that five percent down, like still a considerable amount was leveraged. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, half of that amount was literally leveraged, right? I got a gift letter from Sid and Sid got it from line of credit. Thank you to these banks. 2.5% <laughs> down, basically. Amazing. You guys also bought the perfect type of property to buy with that 5% down lever. To Absolutely. Yes. yes. Buy something that's turnkey. Because it doesn't make sense to go 5% down, pay CMHC premium, and then spend 50000 in renovations. You might as well just put 20, 20% down, right? Um, so and what you guys did is actually the approach that makes the most sense. And Ishan was in a 
in a good position with work where you, you had the ability to say, I'm going to live in Windsor, but I'll still be employed with, um, with my employer. Right. So not everyone's in that situation, but you guys took advantage of your situation. I think knowing you guys personally, that's what led to property number two with Sid. Okay. So now you guys move forward to wanting to buy a primary residence for Sid, because of course you're still limited on down payment money, uh, but you still want to get into the market and tell me what you were looking for in that second property. So to be honest, like we, we are buying properties, like one on Ishan's name, one on my name, but we want to diversify our portfolio. So we have played the cash flow game in Windsor where we get $1,000. So we weren't too much emphasized, like too much fixated on getting too much cash flow from this. This is more like an appreciation play. With cash flow, because we are investing, we are like, okay, we, we need to add some value, either add another unit or have the, have the height, the, the separate entrance, the windows and everything to add a unit in the future when I get money. So we were like hunting properties. We actually did bid, bid on, a, on more than a few properties and we didn't get, get anywhere. But then this property came on the market, which was a divorce sale. So it just came on the market for 24 hours. I closed on this in May. So I think a month or a month and a half before May, I... 2020, like, right? Not 2021. 2020, everything, yeah. COVID, everything is COVID. We're just mm-hmm. it's going around with masks and everything. So my realtor calls me up at uh, 6 p.m. And he's like, you want to, you would want to see this come down. And I'm there at 7.30. We check out the property and the guy is looking at offers next day at 12. So when I come in the neighborhood, I am looking at literal glass mansions, which is sitting on a property, which is overlooking the river. So, I mean, like, even though this is Cambridge, I would say this is easily $4 million or more. And I see like custom built houses, which you see in Toronto, right next to my house, which is almost a million dollars and everything. I speak to the neighbors and they tell me that they've been living here since 20 years. So I'm like, okay, people who move here don't move out, which means it's amazing. And then my realtor tells me only 3% of the properties in this pocket comes on the market. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. that kind of tells me that appreciation play in this area would be good. So my house was apparently the cheapest and the smallest house in the neighborhood. So every house is, every other house is at least a million dollars. My house is the smallest and cheapest, but my house has two units. Yeah. So it already had a legal secondary dwelling unit. So I'm like, okay, this is wonderful. You just have to cosmetically update this. Yeah. But everything else is beautiful because in terms of the bank, I have two units, I have legal income coming in. So one is appreciation play and Ishan's property was more like a cash flow pay. So we're like, okay, let's pick this up. So my max offer was roughly 420, 430-ish, max 430. But that was until like two hours before putting in an offer. And then we realized, bro, we cannot let this go because this is such a good deal. So we paid like 442, which was fair market value in competition. 442? That sounds dirt cheap in retrospect. What the hell, dude? In that like A plus area? In retrospect, that sounds so cheap. The funny thing is someone paid 455-ish or something. And they had conditions of inspection and uh, finance condition. I think at, by that point, we were almost there where we could see a property and be like, okay, there are not major issues. We should be fine. So we didn't put guys, no conditions. Yeah. So you guys were also buying right in the middle of COVID, right? Where like everyone yeah. was scared to buy houses. Yeah. Also, we grabbed 434 peer at the same time for like yeah. ridiculous prices in the market. Yeah. Right? And so when, <laughs> when you guys come in with no conditions right in the middle of COVID, hey, that requires balls on your end, right? Like you guys knew what you guys yeah. were doing. 
right? So there's a little bit more there, but everyone else is coming in with conditions. Like it kind of makes sense exactly mm-hmm. what the, why they did that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you were like, like the main competition was three offers. One was us. The other one was roughly 450-ish with two conditions. And this third guy, oh my God, this third guy is maybe putting 430-ish. And he's like, I'll put 35% as deposit. Deposit. That's oh, 120 Gs. Like this guy is your dad. Yeah, he's like 420 or 430. I'll give you deposit right away. But I'm happy that he didn't put a good value. I'm like, bless you. Just to add to one more thing over here, there was a video on Matt's channel. There was a video on Matt's channel which said like, when you're trying to uh, apply for a job, you write a cover letter. When you're trying to get your dream house, wouldn't you want to write like something? So like there is no reason to not. So we had letter. a cover letter with her mom and our us in a picture mm. to the festival when she ah, had yeah, and like nice. the sympathy stuff. <laughs> and like we embrace the fact that the Indian people who are staying here before we like the ideals and the silent, like the nice touches they are given. So they could resonate with us. So it was not just about money, it was more than money. So mm. all these small nitty-gritty details played in our hand and we they were yeah. like, yeah, go for it. Next yeah. day, we get a call from our agent saying that, hey, I think you guys locked up the deal and I am pretty sure that your cover letter did the deal. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I've never done a cover letter before, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah. maybe because I've always felt like we're buying in a hot market. So I was like, fuck it. Like I'm putting too many offers in at one time. Yeah. But that that was that's amazing, the man. Deposit trick. I get why that guy went in at 430 with a 20% deposit. I try that all the time. I'm like, 80k deposit you guys want like 150 <laughs> it doesn't matter either way we're paying it like i'll yeah. give you the entire thing that's between COVID, eh? between yeah COVID, right in COVID, COVID. yeah yeah so that's mm-hmm. that's actually really surprising mm-hmm. that they went with your offer over that guys but it's good it must be the cover letter right so awesome okay so you bought that in may during covid obviously prices were depressed and obviously prices have risen since then i know you guys were doing a refi in this particular property right and you want five percent on it so to go five percent and being able to refi must mean there's incredible appreciation what did that appraisal come in at and what type of work did you do on this property so pretty much like everything was cosmetic the basement unit we had a little bit of confidence after building the den into a room in his house we are like okay let's do it this ourselves and we did waste five months of our time just slowly doing it at our own pace but we were strapped for money so we didn't mind that much so totally we spend maybe seven grand to ten grand downstairs which okay. is a 450 square feet that's, that's good and we converted that into an airbnb so that brings in two thousand dollars a month so wow. out of a out of a how many square feet unit less than 500 square feet basement unit. nice like yeah it's <laughs> Tiny, but it brings in two grand. I'm like, wonderful. It's better than Toronto. And then upstairs, we were about to go into a refi because I bought this at 5% and I was not experienced enough to know that I shouldn't have bought it in a fixed five-year term. But I did that. He didn't do it. I did that. So I was like, okay, let's see what options they have. And I was like, okay, let me go for a HELOC if you have, if you could provide me that. And the guy just showed up on my door and I'm like, hey, uh, I think I have booked and modified appraisal. So please take pictures from outside, but uh, I'm busy for the weekend. So I'll send you the pictures from inside mm-hmm. later. And on the weekend, I just call my friend's contact, which is like a contractor. He comes in. The upper unit is still looking like 1950s with carpet, wallpaper, <laughs> pink bathtub, pink top and everything. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. So in three days, these contractors come in, rip apart all the painting, uh, paint the whole house like nice gray and floors. Nice, like new vinyl flooring, baseboards, windows, doors, and trims. So these guys turned the unit apart in three days. So now my 
lower unit is looking amazing now my upper unit is also looking amazing i didn't have time to do the kitchen and the washroom mm-hmm. but in 3 days that's amazing and then next day i just take bunch of pictures and just send it to them and the property got appraised for $740,000 holy <laughs> 300k left yeah that's incredible yeah, and, and i i personally didn't even spend 30,000 yeah, like yeah, i didn't even spend 20 i would say because like 7 grand for basement i think 8 or 9 grand for upstairs and couple grand for port lights that's it yeah, that's incredible <laughs> okay that's quite the lift yeah that is quite the lift yeah but so, i would like to add one thing and that is when i went to the bank my lines of credit were little like I was using my lines of credit. So I would advise to clear your lines of credit before you go for a HELOC because now they're like, hey, I can give you 80% loan to value, but your GDS, GDS is not in check. So I'm only going to give you 75% loan to value. And with that, you have to close your NBC line of credit. So which I'm was, like, yeah, which was at 3%, which was at 3%, but I'm like, they gave me 125,000 line of credit. So mm-hmm. it's all right. Oh, so they percent. told you to totally close down yeah. a, an account. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And they'll pay it off yeah. in your it. So you got to be a little careful when you go yeah. into the banks. Just make sure your things are clear. I would just like sure. advice. It sucks because really you guys could have done it. Sean could have paid off your line of credit yes. using his. Yeah. 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 And you, yeah, sometimes you can push back and, and ask them to just you know, pay it <laughs> off instead but of. But you know what? Like it's, the, it's, it's cool because that line of credit served its purpose for you to make hundreds of thousands in equity, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's move forward. Um, I know that shortly after you got your first JV partner, right? Um, and right now you're working on a fiveplex. Let's quickly go over that JV partner deal as well. And then I'm, I know Mayu and I have some details on that fiveplex, and we have a ton of questions because it's a really interesting yeah. one. I'll do a quick one on the JV. We got this property uh, from a landlord of mine seven years before and then i'm just going back after seven years i used to stay in a basement unit without windows with six chinese people staying upstairs with the exhaust going directly to the kitchen so i know whatever they're cooking you know like every <laughs> seven years fast forward no windows basement small room i go and i'm like a bollywood movie i want to buy this house so i go over there and talk to this guy he loves me because i've helped him with 10 issues and all this because he was a chinese landlord the, the language was a barrier, but he knew I was good at heart. So I used to go and help him. So he's like, all right, I can sell you this property. So I was trying to buy his student rental, but it didn't work out. So we gave it to a friend of ours. But at the same time, we asked him, like, is there anything else you want to sell? Like he sells one property every year. So he's like, I might be selling one property next year. You want to see? Like we checked that out. We checked that out. And uh, after checking the property out, it was like making like good sense. But as we were doing the negotiation, the numbers increased. So I ended up getting a wholesale from Boston and then gradually from there, like we bought the property, which was closing one year later, that's January of 2021. So we are talking in January of 2020, like February, 2020 about buying a property one year later. So we just locked it up and then COVID happened. We are like, okay, the price is going like down or what's going to happen. So you bought it for 330k, right? Yeah. So you have to understand that this was Feb 2020 and then April he closed, May I closed. So we are like so tense when COVID hit and you're like, what's going to happen? Should we just leave the 10 grand deposit and just walk away? <laughs> but everything just worked out and we realized we're going to just push through it. So our JV, JV partner was trying to actually like this, this duplex, which Austin Wholesale does. This little duplex is a beautiful duplex like Hundred and hundred and thousand thousand one hundred square feet on both stories, two bedrooms, and it just needed some cosmetic love. 
and the structure of the building and everything was just perfect. So, so we bought it for three thirty. Yeah, right. It appraised for after a renovation of two months. It appraised for four hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. Three thirty to four hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. We added thirty thousand dollars in cash in that like renovation. Like yeah, twenty-five plus. So we are in three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. The purchase price plus the renovation, three hundred and sixty. Right, and now it's appraised for four eighty-five. But my JV partner's TDS uh, was not that good. Oh, he's yeah. a very good friend of mine. So if you're like like my homeboy, I take good care of you, right? <laughs> so he got seventy-five percent loan to value. At seventy-five percent loan to value, it, it, it he gets at uh, a loan like three hundred sixty-three thousand dollars. Still, we made a couple mm-hmm. grand. Nice. Thing. It was good. Like now, yeah. I tell him like we got to sell that car of yours so that we can get that twenty-five thousand dollars, <laughs> and then we split the shares. You get a new car. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so educating him along the way, he's been amazing. So we got all our money. JV Partners happy. He's looking to get new properties. So that's a venture which we did. Yeah, that's, yeah, January twenty twenty one. Yeah, that JV partner must be very happy then. In that case, we were celebrating that. Was I'll tell you like, the funny thing is, we closed on the property. He comes on the weekend to have some chicken tandoori and some big drinks, and he's like. So tell me what is the thing that you are telling we we'll put so much renos and we'll get money. How does it all work? And I, <laughs> on this kitchen counter table, I just explained them. Okay, this is what you put in. This is what we're going to add a little more. And then in three months, everything's going to be done and we're going to pull out. And my estimation was 450, but it turned out 485 mm-hmm. because the market is nuts. Yeah. So when I was explaining him after the purchase, he's like, oh my God, this is what we're doing. This is just amazing. <laughs> didn't even know how That's amazing. The property. Yeah. Speaks to the value of trust though, right? Exactly. Like he really just trusted you guys, saw what you guys did on your own properties. And then he went, you know, I want a piece of this, right? So let's, let's fly ahead. So that, that duplex is done. That's great. And we, so now today, what are you guys doing today? You guys, you guys have done a lot, right? So it took us a while to go through everything, but yeah. what are you guys doing today? Um, talk a little bit about that. Then we'll touch into like what you guys are going to be doing moving forward as well, right? So wonderful. So I would like to say that along all these things, we also bought a student rental. And we bought it on private lending. And uh, that was an issue that actually my JV partner was buying. So it got like things got up in the air without any uh, conditions. And then we helped him and we got it on private lending. We sold that, made a couple of G's, like 10 G's or something more than that. And we sold it in six months from September to January. But then we realized, okay, the name of the game is finding the deal. How do you find the deal? That's when we started our wholesaling business. Like we were like, all right. I'm going to go all guns blazing in the wholesaling, trying to source my own deals, which didn't work my por- which doesn't work my portfolio. I'm going to give it to someone else because it might be a good fit for someone else, not for me. So we started our wholesaling business Jan, Feb sometime. Yeah. And our first wholesale deal, which we were planning to wholesale, was the fiveplex in yeah. Cambridge. We weren't really sure if it was a legal or an illegal fire. And by the time like we had signed up a contract, we we thought the market value would be 950 but slowly we realized that it's a legal fiveplex and it could be wholesale for 950 so it's like it's pretty good deal yeah. but then Sorry, what did you sign it at again we signed it at 810 because we're like okay yeah. there needs to be enough margin and we had uh, an idea that the tenants would be trouble so mm-hmm. we are like okay we got to account for all of this and we put in an offer for 810 but hold on, hold on. I feel like Sid isn't doing justice to the price here, right? So to buy a fiveplex at eight ten, just so anyone understands, like Hamilton is way above, and this is in Kitchener, this is in Kitchener, Kitchener, Cambridge, right? Yeah, but like just for like comparable purposes, like Hamilton is like 
way above like 200, 250 per unit, right? Something like almost close to like 300 per unit. This is in KWC, which is, I might mess up my geography here, but it's closer, right? Plus. Yeah. So to be, yeah, KWC is easily 200 plus, right? Like easily 250. And to get a five plex at 800 puts you guys at what, roughly 170 maybe a unit, right? So that's a really good freaking price, right? So yeah. That, that too, it's all brick, half an acre lot in the city, half an acre lot. It's yeah. the land. Which that's unreal. Right? We actually spoke to the city and they told us based on the density and the size, we can totally have 30 units on that lot. So yeah. in the future, we can just extend the building or add another structure and just make it 13 units. Yeah. yeah. So you guys got this under contract at eight, uh, eight, eight, ten, or eight twenty. Whatever you said, eight ten, eight ten. Yeah. And then uh, you figured market value as well, like one point one, one point two. Easy. Yeah. So yeah. we knew that this could be wholesale for nine fifty. Yes. Yeah. And the, the 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 scope and the level of uplift someone can buy this and do. This was like a proper investor deal because you can see through this. Even if you buy this at nine fifty a million you know that you can jump the price to 1.4 by spending only 150 or something. There was a fourplex which sold for 1.15 mil next to ours. I think I've four seen that one as well. Right? Yeah, fully turnkey one. Mm -hmm. Like we were like, we were like, it would be dumb of us. Like if you would just wholesale it and make like 100 and 150, whatever. And the funny thing with that fourplex was that was sold on the basis that it has a big enough lot to put another fourplex on that. And his lot was smaller than our lot. So it's like, this is the home rent. Yeah. Yeah. Get this fine. So, so this was too lucrative for us to give it away. And then we started thinking like, okay, we got to look up like private lending. We have already experience of private lending and we know how much it would cost and what our, our strengths are. And then we are like, all right, instead of making a quick 150 or $100,000 on our first wholesale, we locked this deal up. And then we went through the city to understand what the open work permit orders are with this particular house. We never like, hey, we got 800,000, 150 G's profit. So like, all right, happy and this. No, we did our due diligence. We do all the steps. We went to the city, found out open work permit order. We took the archives, found out whether it's like what its legal status is. Yeah. During, during doing all this due diligence, I found out there was like some issues with the tenants and this and that. This needs to be fixed. So I dropped the price 10 days before closing. I went and firmed up to the team. And I dropped the price from $810,000 to $800,000. Now, I don't know if I'm stingy, but that was logical enough for the effort and work I'm putting in. So I'm like, now I have a gap of like $150,000, $160,000 for what it could have been wholesale for. So Paul, let's pause right here. Yeah. How did that negotiation, there's a lot to unpack, right? So before the negotiation, I, and this is because like myself and Austin know a little bit about this property. So I, I found it like really fascinating. You guys had this locked up conditional all the way until 10 days before closing. Is that right? Yes. Right. So for anyone that says conditional, no. conditional deals it don't work. I think even 10 days before the closing, it was 44 business days. So from the time we signed it, it was conditional until the day of closing. And that we realized why can't you do there shouldn't be any threat you know it's conditional <laughs> till the day wait okay. sorry and this deal was gotten through a letter campaign is that correct yes, yes. okay yeah and so, interesting thing over here was if there's a problem you find the solution but there's cost of doing business now they have a problem of a problem tenant who were like so troublesome he couldn't even get me the pictures of the unit so i'm understanding I can help you out of this and you can buy a big, nice, fancy cottage next to the water. 
but what price are you willing to give me for? So I'm understanding his why. What's his numbers? How much does he need for the cottage place? Yeah. How much he can buy it outright and live happily by the lake and whatever. So I'm understanding his why. After that, I'm understanding what he's actually, how many holes are there in his pocket? Really, for real, like from the city. I'm, I'm doing all this homework to find out what the process is. And then by the end, I understand like, okay, this is what he needs. He'll be happy if I give him this. Don't think about how good the deal is for me, but think about what he's getting. Try to fit in their shoes. Because yeah. the tenant, which is his problem, he would make my life horrible as well, right? So his tenant was practically suing him. Yeah. And he was under a lot of stress. And he was like a simple guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so let me ask you guys this, right? Because, you know, you, you hear it everywhere. It sounds great in theory to like put yourself in the seller's shoes, like understand like why they want to sell it, like whatever and all that stuff. But how did you guys actually go about asking him those questions? And how did you get him to open up to you? Like, how did that conversation work? Because I think if you just went, hey, seller, like, why do you want to sell this property? What are you going to do with the money? Some people are just going to be like, fuck off. Like, why, why do you care? You yeah. and, like, and lastly, who determined the price? Was that you or that or the seller? How did that so, arrive? So we had a first meeting. This was like one of our first wholesale calls we got. And we're like, okay, let's just go and see on Saturday. And then we walk through the property. The wife walks us through the property. And then we're back and the husband also comes through and we're just like, Sean is talking to the husband, making sure the data he's giving is right. And then I'm talking to the wife and we're just talking about Euro trips, Santorini, Greece and all that. So it's, it's more like a friendly wife mm-hmm. where I'm just meeting my uncle and aunt kind of thing, you know, and yeah, just yeah. find out that they love Indian food. So we, next time we, when we're coming over, we just bought them time. some good Indian stuff that they have. They are happy about it, and they tell us that they are looking for roughly nine hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Okay, and and then when we went back and did our analysis, it's like nine hundred doesn't make sense. Maybe we might be able to make twenty thirty thousand dollars, mm-hmm. but still doesn't make sense for for all that headache and work. Correct. Yeah. So 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 I want to pitch in here and say one thing. Whenever you're talking to the seller, you got to listen. Please listen to what they're going to say. There's a set of questions. You just drop it. And let them talk. There'll be one or two hook points where they'll be like, yeah, I want to tell you about this. This telling you, know, there's this, or I want to buy this. They will get hooked to one of those questions and you just got to listen. Then you get the idea of which important topic you got to hit on later. That's that's the advice I would like to give you. Just listen. And then when you're doing the negotiation later, okay, you have a problem, tenant. Okay, you said that they were like some biker gang or something. I don't even know if that's a thing or whatever. So now I'm thinking, okay, you told me about this. Like I didn't cook this up, right? So I'm getting more information from you, from what I listened. And one, we, we have the strength over here that one guy is able to, you know, communicate as to like comfortably and the other guy is doing the due diligence. So this is like a team power. Like we emphasized on this and then, yeah. So we, we, we put an offer for eight ten. It did, we, get, we got no response for three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offer expired. And on, on Saturday, I called her and she's like, yeah, we're going to look at properties tomorrow. Yeah, we'll call you on Monday. I'm like, okay. At least she picked up the call. So that's a positive sign. And then Monday, they call us up and they're like, okay, we're ready to sign the offer. Uh, so we locked it up yeah. for 810. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, anyone will be anti during those three days. Is there anything that you wish you would have done different during that, that negotiation process? Um, because I, I'm no perfect. Like you're, you were happy with the way things went. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's about like when you empty mind is a devil's workshop. 
when you are trying to think too many things mm-hmm. but that's not what's happening actually there's something else going on, on the other side you need to give people time you yeah. need to listen to people people don't do these small simple basic things you have to understand some natural communication cues where she replied to me she replied to me that means okay she's still interested right so i don't want to push her just wait hold on until checks out the properties yeah. right so i totally agree with that one aspect i would just layer on top yeah. um just for like wholesalers or people out there is is that um it, it's a very competitive market right so time is, is it's great that you give people time but time is also the enemy that kills all deals Absolutely. the more time you give someone the more likely they're not going to go with it because there there might be other wholesalers who jump on there might be other investors who come in, right? Um, and then obviously that, it just leaves more openings to people to enter and, and steal the deal away. Absolutely. But the funny thing here was we knew what, who our competition was. Our competition was not the fact that she's going to go on the market with the realtor. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had an idea that not a whole lot of wholesalers have approached her. So, and our, our only competition was she refinancing the property, them refinancing the property, pulling the equity and buying another property. That's, so we, and you guys had a lot of report with her, which is important yes, too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. But your point is wonderful. Like it, it's actually right. Like speed is of the essence. Absolutely. No competition on point. But there was none over here. So we were like just playing the waiting game. and give I think we have launched a couple deals on speed. So <laughs> <laughs> I truly agree with you. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so you guys decided you're going to keep this fireplace, right? And, and we've already talked about like, look, like the first deal was all of your capital, really. Um, your second deal was all of your capital again. Third deal was with the JV partner. I know you guys sold um, the Windsor property, right? Yeah. Uh, is that how you funded this fireplace, or what did you guys do to like? How do you? How does someone with no capital? Okay. And yeah, like, we know the answer, but let <laughs> me slowly uh, refill this first property. All money gone. Second property, literally all money gone. Third property was a student rental, which we didn't want to buy, but our baby partner got stuck into it and he couldn't close. So I'm like, okay, I have so much equity in this Cambridge house. Maybe I can just leverage my portfolio to buy that. And we bought that on private lending. So another minus $60,000 deposit down payment from my account. So we are like deep in debt. And then we're like, okay, we, we've gotten we gotten comfortable with it and then we do this bird with our JV partner. Now we just find out that the fiveplex is a stellar deal, so we have to close on it. We thought of JVing with people, but then we we're like, we don't we didn't really want to get into JVing because it's Cambridge, it's just and 10 minutes drive and we were like, exposed to private lending as yeah, well, right? Yeah, so, so we we're like, okay, let's see if we can find private lender for this. And we found out that Kyle Ford is a private lender from KWC. So we hopped on a call with this guy. And he just sold his 10 units yes. for $4 million. So 400K a unit. And he was more than stoked to find out it's a legal fine. He's like, oh, this is a fucking stellar deal. So we wanted a person who understands, who judges the deal more than the person. Because right. we have grown so quickly, like we don't have a lot of credibility to show you. But we do everything right. And we're coaching under Corey. So it's, it's, it's wonderful. So we speak to this guy and we explicitly told him that the only thing we're looking for is 0% down on this property. And he straight up tells us that if you can get me 950K of appraisal, I can get you 0% down because there is so much equity on the buy. And then we get uh, an appraisal and it comes out at 960. So we are pretty good. So we get to close this property. 
we are pulling a little more lines of credits to you know what uh, closing fees they, yeah, yeah. Fees. but but rest yeah. to highlight to a point that we did not have we didn't sold sell our house in windsor yet oh, there okay. was a property which we are we were with private lending in windsor which we were paying heavy cash we didn't sell that also so we were in negative like a debt of 100 100000 on a line of credit and still we pounced on it because the numbers made sense because someone is giving this at 0% down the initial investment we can still pull it out and we can sell our properties quickly which wouldn't be on time which is okay but the cash would come so it's all about the numbers which is making sense and we are like all right that's all and, and the property has so much equity on the buy that even if yeah anything goes wrong everyone still makes money right so, so let, let's go through this scenario now right and i'm sure that we we all agree on this but like in some situations you can deter from this particular rule when you buy a property you want to make sure it's not cash flow negative including on the buy this particular property more than likely i assume is cash flow negative on the buy yeah. right because it's under rented um but they're also buy- using private money like what if you if you didn't use private money would it would it be cash flow negative or no uh, it doesn't matter to me. It will still be cash flow negative. Yeah, uh, it's un- it's under rented, right? Like pretty significantly. Like a lady is paying six hundred dollars for a unit. You get and you're buying it close to a million. Yeah, at eight hundred thousand. Two units like that. So yeah. Okay. So why did you develop? Like, why was this particular property like? Okay, I'm willing to diverge from this rule, knowing that Ontario. Um, all of the rules are in favor of the tenants more so than the landlords. That is scary for a lot of people. Yeah, but uh, we knew the proper people, like the connections we need to hire. So we we hired this guy called Adam Kitchener, who is an expert in cash flow keys or tenant troubles or anything related to tenants. And he charges whatever fees he charges per unit. But I am assured that he will do the job. And the the, the margin, like. ARV of this property, I think conservatively is 1.25, but I'm pretty sure it will be appraised for 1.4 with the finishes that we put. So the margin is so much that even if I spend 10, 20, 30, like every problem has a dollar value. The question is, are you fine with the dollar value? So that just, is the only problem. Just to highlight over here what Sid is saying over here, for 30 Gs of cash per keys, well, how does the property value increase based yeah. on the current market rents? It increases by hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. The question is, are you willing to put thirty thousand dollars for getting one hundred fifty thousand dollars? Second question: If you can't do it yourself, are you willing to hire somebody to get that confidence and understanding of how it's done? Okay, I could have done myself for twenty Gs, but I hired someone and I did it for thirty Gs. Okay, but having the vision from top instead of having looking at the turn next corner, you are getting hundred and fifty Gs of spread. Like, come on, like. Why won't you do it? Mm-hmm. Like now, to, now, the only question is who can do it the right way? Like there's no chance of fuck-ups because, sorry, excuse my language, but it's private lending over here. Like $800,000 at 10% down, you can't less this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so we, we spent 30 grand on cash for Greece, less than 30 grand. And like everyone signed the N9s. Okay, so pause here. Again, that's an important conversation that we can quickly kind of talk about. Um, cash for keys conversation with five tenants, all of them signed four, it. Four, four tenants, sorry. How, how are you able to do that? So initial cash for keys conversation was the guy goes in, he's the messenger. He's not the guy who's the owner. So no one kills the messenger. That's the same, right? So he goes in and he just tells them, 
whatever the due diligence is, and then he comes back. The next day, I'm going, uh, uh, next day or the, on a weekend, like after five days, I just go in. And now I'm using empathy as a mercenary or whatever. And I'm trying to make them understand, listen, I'm not one of those slumlords which you had earlier, or I'm not just going to kick you out. Let me make a win-win strategy for everyone so that it doesn't hit my conscience. And in future, whatever I'm doing, I get your good blessings. I don't need to, but I do have to. That's how I've been brought up. And then I was like, all right, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Instead of leeching money, what do you actually need? I understood their why again. Now just listening and making sure they feel like this guy's here to listen. Right? Again, it's listening. And then they were saying like, I need this. I need this. Then I was questioning them. Do you need this or do you want this? There's two differences between the two words. Like now I'm, I'm understanding and making them understand. Okay, you need this. You don't want this. You need this. You need this much and then it'll work out. You need this, it'll work out. You need something else. Moving cost for this or that, it'll work out. So things like that helped me in the negotiation. And when I went for the second time, it was me running the show. And they, they saw a genuine person inside me who's trying to help. At the same time, he is stuck in a place between rock and a hard place where he's doing private lending and blah, blah, blah. So they, they come to a common ground and we could work things out. So yeah, that's how it pretty much worked out. Yeah, and I think it's as simple as that, but it's more difficult to execute, right? And a lot of people don't realize that these conversations, the reason why people don't do well at them is because they're very fucking difficult conversations to have. You're literally going some to someone who's lived in a place for 10 years and you're telling them, look, I need to help you to transition. What can I do to help you do that? Right. It's not an easy conversation and most people end up breaking under pressure, but that's, that's phenomenal, dude. You, it, it's as simple as having those convos and I'm sure you did get backlash in my cash for keys convo. Sometimes I get backlash, but you just got to take a couple steps back, reset. And that like, you know, like if you ever want, you know, what's pretty cool. Like I'm watching YouTube, like, when investigators negotiate murderers and stuff like that, it's crazy. Like, and it's a psychological game, right? It's like, okay. Like when they start pushing back, it's like, okay, feel empathy, do that. And then you got to like push harder. Like it's, it's like a, all a psychological thing, right? And that's like the Casper Keys combos as well. Yes. I'm very, very good point. This guy, Chris was the FBI stop negotiator for us when talking with terrorists. Mirroring is a very good technique. You go, you talk, you talk, you mimic to the guy. All these subtle things like what you're asking, you're instilling a seed in their brain as to what they're supposed to ask you. This technique I've used in interviews as well. So I'm, I'm actually framing a question in their mind even before they know what they're going to ask because I'm saying something with such a tonality compared to saying such a, such a tonality. Like, do you see the difference, the wording and all this? This, this is a whole practice, man. And... I really appreciate you emphasizing on that point. Like, yeah, if you if you understand that and it comes with practice, then it's easy. But you got to try it. You got to try it. <laughs> then it all makes sense. So, so we, we we wanted to make sure that the tenants go out. So we hired someone. But then second conversation, we 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 did a smart thing where we asked the guy to have a recorder in his phone, like a phone, and then just listen to everything that he had spoken to. Yeah. So we get a glimpse of how it's done. And yeah. now the second conversation is Shan goes in, takes the lead, and he's getting feedback from this guy as to should I change something? So now Shan's learning how to do cash for keys confidently, right? So if you guys need someone to do cash for keys, 
<laughs> New business, eh? <laughs> nice. Okay, awesome, guys. And so you've done the hardest part right now, which is turning around the units, right? Uh, now, although that's the hardest part, that's not the most costly part, right? Yeah. The most costly part in multifamilies is renewing each unit. Um, so I know that you guys are limited on capital. Yes, you do have your lines of credit, but you're fully leveraged through private lending. How are you going to fund the renos going forward for this project? So pretty much uh, the expensive piece, which was cash flow piece, 30000 that's done. Now we are looking for almost $150,000 of reno money that we need. Even though we sold two of our properties and we have the money in our account, we personally don't want to use that money because it can be used as source of funds for our next acquisition. Yeah. Because right now, having source of funds is the biggest pain. So we're going to hold on to that money so that we can leverage that as a source of funds. And we're going to try uh, and get some private money, $150,000 for the reno for maybe span of three to six months uh, and do the reno. So we got the property for 800. It appraised for 960 as is. We have spent $30,000 in cash for keys. So we are all in for 830. And now the property's value is 1.1 to 1.15 with the tenants left like once they leave. So that's then. And then we are planning to do $150,000 of reno. So 800 plus 8 plus 30 plus 150, that's 960 or whatever. So so that is, we are all in and we are looking for an appraisal of anywhere from 1.25 to 1.4 mil. And that's doable. So as long that's as a lift, it's, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's a lift. And as long as it hits 1.4, we are like almost zero dollars. Yeah. So so just to emphasize over here, one of the points Mario highlighted earlier, does it cash flow based on where the property is and what the if it was conventional lending? So our goal is to go with Airbnb model mm. because the one bed unit, which we are making so much money, we have a proof of concept where we are getting two grand for $450 square feet basement apartment. Now, my mind is thinking if it's like a one bed apartment, I can eat, if I can get $2,000 and, and, the, and the demographics of that area supports Airbnb. Because in Cambridge, we don't have as many marriage venues. And when no, marriage, we have a lot of marriage venues. Oh, sorry. And then on, in marriage season, no, all of the marriage venues mm. are like, Booked. Like they'll have like seven, yeah. eight marriages. Yeah. In the and then yeah. all the I, hotels I are booked. Yes. I went so, to, I think, I think it was either Kitchener or Cambridge or something for a wedding. I had to pay like 200 bucks Cambridge, for a hotel for one night. And the funny thing is, this is on the west side, West area, yeah. which is like the direction where you go for all the marriage venues. So this mm-hmm. is like a proper spot. And, 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 and to emphasize, like now I'm thinking, like if I do Airbnb model over there for the one bed units, I make two, two, two grand easy out of the one bed, like six grand easy. Then they have like two, three bedroom units, which are going to be crazy. Yeah. Like whatever. One if of I the even three do family is like, like, yeah, I'm going to make like good, good money. So my point is like, I cannot like try to be stingy in renovations. I can do it myself. But what if I do it properly? Now, what is properly? Like I just need $150,000. But any one of you listening right now, if you want to make quick money within the next six months, we are looking for a proposition to give you a second lien on our property or how you want to structure it. And uh, your money is already out. Like if you fail to get it, like it's even better for you guys. So yeah, <laughs> it's so true. 
Um, before, before we wrap up, I just want to outline one thing. I, I always tell people it's the best time to raise private money is when you don't need it. And you guys are a pretty good case study of that, right? Like you literally got the funds in the bank account, but levering up is essentially the role of investors as well, right? Like, you know, so providing other people with a good, solid, rate of return is great there. And your, your property is honestly at a pretty low loan to value, right? Like even if you say the value is 1.1 million at about 800 K mortgage, I don't even know what that is. That's like a 30%, um, or 70% loan to value. So that's pretty solid. Yeah, most uh, of the risk right, is off the table now, like the tenant risk, right? Most, yeah, I think that's off yeah, the table, yeah. which is huge. Yeah, yeah. Great. All right, guys. So let's move into the the kind of the last few questions that we'd like to ask our guests, right? So the first question for you guys, given how much you've done in the last year and a half, right? Which, by the way, this is a great episode as a case study for anyone that wants to know how to get started in real estate with little to no money down. <laughs> um, but, you know, where are we going to see you guys five years from now? Five years from now? The best answer we came up with will be off the grid. We will have systems already optimizing everything and we won't be over here. I just want to sip on some good, good stuff in Bali. <laughs> like just relax, do geo arbitrage. Because during COVID, I realized like when I was with my girlfriend in Amsterdam and I was just working from there, Amsterdam is expensive, but still like if I could do geo arbitrage, like life is golden. You don't need as much money as much as you think you would. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah. My idea. What's yours? Yeah, I think like have a few businesses which are which have proper systems in place and it's running by itself, and that you don't actually have to work because we as investors want the financial freedom, but when we actually get it, we are like, ah, oh, I wish I had that Lambo. <laughs> I don't want the Lambo. Maybe I want it, but mm, I would rather be off the grid, spend six months, one year, freedom to do whatever you feel like, even though you don't do it. Sid wants to travel. Whenever he comes back from a different country, he's like, I want to quit everything and just stay on. That's what he said. Every time, every time. He wants well, that, to- that's a firm, that's motivation, man. That you're, li- you're actually living your dream lifestyle, then you're back to reality, right? Because like, that's not reality, to be honest with you, right? And you're like, fuck, now I need to make that a, make that a dream come true. The funny thing is I saw people who were working from home, like digital nomads and living that life, but that was still a shitty life because you are, besides the pool, but you can't even look at anything <laughs> other than your screen. It's like, fuck, it's good for an Instagram picture, but... It's, it's actually worse, I guess. So, so yeah, that's that's probably our five to ten years. We'll have as many properties, scale in real estate like crazy, and then have a few businesses where we get enough money to just quit everything and go yeah. off the grid. Nice. Okay, and second question here is: If you guys won ten million dollars, you had seven days to spend it. Cannot all be on real estate? How would you spend it? I want to go first. Like, uh, growing up. I didn't have much money for my education. Now I'm working for one of the top companies in software industry. And I owe it to the person who gave me money for my education. So while studying, I found this one guy whose parents were mentally challenged. He used to study nine to five. He used to sit in the library afterwards and study because he didn't afford books. And then he used to go and work at some grocery store to make money. It brings tears to my heart. This guy was such a gold gem. So I want to create earnestly like scholarship for people who really need it because I have seen that. I have been there. So I can connect with that. I I can do hundred better things maybe, but I connect more because I didn't have anything. I was not able to like get things, but now I'm here. So I want to give it to those folks over there who really like, you know, gunning hard and trying it. So I want to give scholarship to people 
and at the same time i want to implement like get half of the money and like just like put it on my business and just enjoy whatever that's my goal yeah i think i would i would want to i want to help people who are just getting started with their life because like if you had seen me in india you wouldn't believe that i could even get here by any chance like i was the worst of the worst in the whole college in the whole college not even my class my department so it's like some things can change your life the question is would you have the opportunity to be at the right place at the right time which flips the switch in your mind so i would want to have like a program where before people start working their main jobs or jobs they get an opportunity to understand investing financial literacy because in india especially it is so taboo that if i have 10 dollars in my pocket i won't even tell you i have money it's just stupid so suddenly it's like you will never talk about money and you don't talk about money how can you make multiply money unless you're in the right circle so having those maybe pop up classes or seminars or whatever for in back in india or canada whatever helps just so that people get the financial literacy and understand that you cannot work your all life all your life just to make some money where you can just invest and do it wisely and do do it right and you can have a better life because many people don't even know that's an option right that is one thing i would definitely do and invest by few more multi like our direction going forward is larger multi families so we'll just buy a few more larger multi families and just again go up the grid few or not more a lot <laughs> awesome guys all right last question because we do have to wrap up um if you were uh to have dinner with anyone dead or alive who would you choose and why i i would like to meet elon musk like i just want to meet that guy he's he's just doing it for the heck of doing it. i don't know why he's doing it whatever like i just want to meet that guy it's just like feel his vibe he's like a larger than life figure <laughs> yeah yeah he's, yeah he's just like he's god sent he's he's fucking god like in real terms like i don't know man the guy's like <laughs> he could have had everything he's like taking all the money he's going bankrupt and trying to build spacex bro who does that come on who does that take some re- relax with margaritas chillax no he wants to do something good i want to meet this guy man this this energy it's all about vibrations and energies like you want to meet these people and just like get the vibe like you can do a little better in someone's life and that's the best thing you can do by far like not just make money make a difference in someone's life so that's the reason i want yeah. to meet you now i would want to meet my grandparents because i felt like i could have spend more time with them and it's always when you when when they're gone you realize like whenever someone's gone you realize hey i should have spend more time and like covid has brought us that realization like human connection the relationships are so important and we personally in north america we're running for money like crazy on the weekdays and just to cool it off we are partying like animals on the weekend and that's not like so Mm-hmm. I was that well said and time with the people I've lost very deep answer um and I'm sure you guys are going to have that time soon um okay so guys thank you so much for jumping on it's been an absolute pleasure it's been a- amazing to see you guys grow as investors from people who really didn't know anything about real estate to now people who are acquiring properties getting private money wholesaling investing in multifamily properties you guys have done it all if people want to reach out to you what's the best way they can do so uh you can reach out to us uh, on instagram my instagram handle is kid you not underscore sid sig and then his instagram handle is ishan.kubair that's i s h a n dot 
K-H-O-B-A-R-E. And then we have a business page, which is called Kubere.capital. That's K-H-O-B-A-R-E dot capital. Awesome. So all of that's going to be in the show notes down below. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support the podcast. And it helps bring great guests like Ishan and Sid on here. And uh, make sure to do reach out to them. They have a very inspirational story. Check out their other podcasts that they've been featured in as well. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.